I have been intended to kick off our ministry year. And uh, you'll remember a, a few weeks ago, we talked about that we want to be a praying church. And, and we looked at ways in which we can become together more of a, a, a people who gather to pray together, to seek God's face together by prayer. And then last week, our, our focus was on a working church. And the whole point of last week's message was to say uh, that God has called leadership of local churches together to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we don't pay pastors or ministers to do the work of the ministry. We pay pastors and ministers, and we call elders who aren't paid, to equip you, the saints, the members of the church, to do the work of the ministry. Today flows uh, right in line with those first two. So we want to be a praying church, a working church, and today what we're going to see is we want to be a covenanting church. Today is all about church membership. That when you enter into membership in a local church, you are covenanting before God with other members in the local church. And so the very first question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Is membership, that is church membership, in a local church, not membership in the broad universal church, but membership in a local church, is that a biblical idea? A lot of people would suggest that church membership is not a biblical idea. Once you put your faith in Christ, you become a member of the universal church. But let me just give you an analogy to show that unless you're a member of a local church, that whole other category of being a member of the body of Christ more universally kind of doesn't make sense. And by kind of, I mean really. Uh, here's the idea. What if I told you that I play for the NHL? You say, oh, that's great. I, we have a pastor work, uh, that plays for the NHL. And then you might say, well, what team do you play for? What if I said, well, I actually don't play on a team. I play for Gary Bettman. You say, well, then you don't play in the NHL. Well, yes, I do. I play hockey at the leisure or for the glory of Gary Bettman. And every time I play hockey, I think about Gary Bettman, and I, I just say, you know, Gary, I bet you really are glad to have someone like me playing for the NHL. See, that's what it's like, actually, when Christians say, I'm a Christian, I'm a member in the universal body of Christ. Oh, that's great. What church do you go to? Well, I don't go to a church. I'm a Christian to the glory of Jesus Christ. I, I play for Jesus. I, I serve for Jesus. Well, there are times, short times hopefully, where you might be in transition, but overall, God expects, requires, and calls those who are in the body of Christ to find themselves, to manifest that belonging in a local church. Let me just show you, there's so many passages that we could go to. The word membership does not occur in the New Testament, but the idea of local church uh, membership is impervious. It's everywhere in the New Testament. It, it is so assumed that they don't bother to spell it out in detail explicitly. But, but just listen for a moment at this verse, Acts 2, 47. And this is flowing on the curriculum of the church. Acts 2, 42 to 47 talks about what the local church 
ought to be doing. And that's how we've structured our ministries. We went over that last week. So I'll just do verse 42 and then skip down. They, they, that is the local church, the saints, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. You see, you cannot fall under specific teaching. You cannot fellowship, that is, bring your material resources together with a group of believers, sort of whimsically or ethereally. It, it has to have a local manifestation. Breaking bread, that is, to eat with particular Christians, and to pray with particular Christians that all happens in a local church. Now going down to verse 47, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. The idea of adding to someone's number is that you could keep track. How many are we? Well, we are this many members of the church. If you detach yourself from the local church, you're not in anybody's number. You're not on anybody's role. And so this whole idea that they could quantify the number of the saints is implicit of the fact that they held to local church membership. They knew how many there were, and the Lord added to that number day by day, those who are being saved. And at the very end there, that's not, a, that's not a, a statement saying that you're added to the number of a local church just by being saved. That shows you the one requirement for membership. To be a member in a local church, you have to first be saved. Once you're saved, you should be added to some local church's number. So that's all the time I have to defend the idea of membership, but it's everywhere in the New Testament. Everywhere. If membership then is a biblical idea, what does biblical membership look like? What are the expectations? What are the privileges? What are the benefits of being a member in a local church? Well, that's the focus for today's sermon. Uh, the elders have been talking about this for some time. We went to Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, I don't know, about half a year ago now, maybe a little bit longer, and they really emphasized meaningful membership there. That's what they called it, meaningful membership. And that got us thinking, we want membership at South Shore not to just be something that we do or, you know, yeah, it's probably good that we have a, a role number, but we want people to enter into covenant with one another here under the headship of Christ as an expression of their salvation, and we want that membership not to be token, but to be meaningful. And so today's sermon, we're going to define what we believe meaningful membership looks like. So in meaningful membership, there's two sides to this. There's expectations. Membership is meaningful if there are certain expectations put on the membership, but there's also benefits that by saying, yes, this is, I belong to this church. I want to be counted among the number of this local church. That comes with certain benefits as well. The way we're going to go about this, today's a little bit different sermon. As you know, normally we like to take one or maybe two passages and exegete through them, go through them line by line or thought by thought. Today we're going to be bouncing around a little bit because the basis for today's message is our membership covenant. And I've sent that out to you uh, for several weeks now. Uh, you can find it online on our website. 
Uh, and so we have a reworded membership covenant. We're going to be asking every one of our current members and moving forward, anyone who wants to become a member to sign and affirm by signing this membership covenant. So it's important that you hear what it is and what it means. I'm going to be going to a lot of scriptures today, but I won't have time to linger in any one. So you can choose, either you wanna just listen, all of the scriptures I'm gonna to go to are in the membership covenant, uh, so you could just choose to listen, or if you wanna try and keep up and find where I am, that's fine too. But if you find you're falling behind, I don't want you to miss the content of what's being said because you're trying to find your place. So you decide if you wanna try and thumb through the Bible with me, or just listen and you can go back and visit these passages later. Let's pray as we uh, invite God to help us to understand his vision for what membership looks like in the local church. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have uh, saved us by the blood of Jesus Christ, and now uh, as members of his body, we want to find ourselves in a local church. I thank you that we have such a high percentage of, of members here, and today for most of us, we will be reaffirming that which we've already committed to. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would continue to add to our number those who are being saved day by day and week by week. Please add to our number and may we be a powerful, loving, gracious witness of the gospel in the spheres of influence that you have placed us. I pray that you would glorify yourself, help us to understand membership in your church. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are going to be going through the membership covenant line by line. We have 10 articles in our membership covenant. Let's get started with number one. Uh, and these are in no particular order. One is not more important than 10, and we didn't save the best for last. These are all equally valuable. There are 10 important aspects to meaningful membership. If you're a member here, this is what we're asking for you to confirm. Number one, I covenant to prioritize my own spiritual growth by regularly reading the Bible and by praying. These are just sort of the basics of Christian life. One of the greatest tragedies of a Christian life would be that after you're saved, a year later, five years later, a decade after, or a lifetime, maybe it's four or five decades, you've changed little over the course of those decades or those years. And so when you enter into covenant here, we can't do all of your praying for you. We can't do all of your Bible reading for you. We wanna come alongside every member and try and help you to understand what the word says. We wanna try and spur one, along, one another along to, to loving good works and prayer and so on and so forth. But ultimately, and, and we can't police this, we're not going to police this, this is between you and God. But what we are asking of our members is that we would be a praying people. That we would be a people who read the Bible. Some days we're just gonna, we can't get enough of the Bible. And even though sort of the, our time allotted has elapsed, we'll just keep going because we're that thirsty for it. We'll go through other seasons where we're running dry and it's just hard to, to even put in the 10 minutes. We get that. Uh, but the idea is through the good and the bad, the high and the low seasons, the rainy seasons and the dry seasons, spiritually speaking, that we will make an effort to pray, to read the Bible. Uh, the two passages here, uh, just to, to touch on them, all scripture 
is breathed out by God. It's profitable. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Uh, We believe that here. We believe that this book is the word of God. And so when you're going through a a difficult season, I just don't want to read it. Just remind yourself of what it is that you have on your shelf. It's the word of God. And you can get to know him by reading it. And the other passage uh, or or verse for, for this article of our covenant is, I desire then that all men should pray, lifting holy hands. That's 1 Timothy 2, 8. That's not just for the men. The direct context is for the men, but the desire of God for his church is that we would lift up our hands. And the idea is there is, what else can you do with your hands? In the context of 1 Timothy 2, it's the men were fighting, probably maybe with their hands, but it's definitely with their mouths. He said, rather than fighting, turning your fists into open hands to God and pray, pray for one another, pray for the church, pray for your families, pray for your city. Pray in all circumstances. Since we have 10, we're going to move on. That's a whole sermon, right? We could talk about prayer and Bible study forever. I want to highlight one word before we go to Article 2 is the word regularly. I covenant to prioritize my own spiritual growth by regularly reading the Bible and praying. Well, how often is regularly? Regularly. It's, it's vague. It's intentionally vague. We're not saying every day necessarily. We're not saying every week necessarily. Although, I might make the argument that if you're not touching in with the Word of God at least once a week, that's probably not regular. But, but we're not, we don't want this to become legalistic. We don't want it to be, check the box, I prayed, I, I, I read my Bible. We want it to be a joy. We want you as members to be drawn into this by God's Spirit, so it's intentionally vague. No check boxes, no legalism. And as we go through this covenant, I hope you see, we do not want to be a legalistic church where we can put on the mask, we can check the boxes, we can say, are you doing this, that, and the other thing, but our hearts are far from God. And so the word regularly is intentionally vague. We want your heart to be in it. And if you're struggling, just confess that to, uh, to a, a, another brother or sister in the church. And say, could you pray for me? Could you help me? Could you spur me on? Because I'm struggling to read my Bible and to pray. Okay, article number two. I covenant to work out my salvation by increasingly glorifying God by what I do and say I shall seek to obey that which is clearly revealed in the Bible. There's a lot of really key words in there. So let's just go through it chunk by chunk. Uh, I covenant to work out my salvation. Once you're saved, it doesn't mean you're all of a sudden perfect. So we recognize that we're not looking for perfect people here. We're not looking for people to come to us and say, wow, you're, you're pretty much as good as it gets. Uh, we want people who are rough around the edges. We want people with sharp elbows. We want people who stumble and make mistakes. But in addition to all those things, we want people who are working it out. Working out their salvation means taking one small step at a time. Two steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, two steps back. One step forward, two steps back. You know, so the hopefully, over the course of your life, if, if we could chart progression and regression spiritually, 
you know, it's an up and down. Some seasons are down for a while, but then you're up and you're up for a while down. But hopefully, the trajectory is from the moment you're saved, you're moving toward greater holiness, one degree of glory from another. Uh, so you're not perfect, and not every season is forward moving. But over the course of your life, you are going in that direction. So working it out by increasingly, that's a word that's really important. Not that you will glorify God by everything you do and say. You're going to say things you shouldn't say. You're going to do things that you shouldn't do. But it's that idea that increasingly, hopefully, we're being changed. We're glorifying God day by day a little bit more clearly. And so I shall seek to obey. We're not asking for perfect obedience, as I said, that which is clearly revealed in the Bible. We're going to see in Article 3, we're going to balance this. The Bible is really clear about some things, but not always clear about everything. And we want to be a church that only seeks to bind our conscience and the consciences of others by what is clearly revealed in the Bible. So let me give you a really easy example. Don't murder anyone. I can bind your conscience on that. Don't kill somebody. I can't bind your conscience on whether or not you should subscribe to Netflix. They're just two totally different things. The Bible's clear on one and not clear on the other. I might be able to say there are certain things that the Bible's pretty clear you ought not to be watching, but even there, there's, a, uh, there's room for conviction, maturity, growth. So we want to seek to obey that which is clearly revealed in the Bible. Bind our consciences by what is clearly revealed and seek to help weak brothers and sisters to bind their own consciences according to what is clearly revealed. And we see here, the verse for this is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Little context for this is Philippians 2, 1 to 12 just talks about don't think about yourself all of the time. Remember what Jesus was like. Be like him who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to or grasped, but he took the form of a servant. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And he was obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the context. In light of that perfect example, right? So this is what Paul is doing. I want to show you perfection. It's Jesus Christ. Strive to be like Him. Then we get to verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, much more in my absence, here it is, this is where we got this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus is perfect. Try to be like Him. You're not going to be. But work it out. Step by step. Little by little. And then verse 13 is really important. For, because, here, what's going to help, what's going to empower us to do this? It is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So you work, but it's God working in and through your work. So we partner with God in the power of the Holy Spirit, covered by the grace of God, to become more like Christ. 
That's all I have time for there. Another good sermon. Article number three. I already alluded to this. I covenant to discern God's will according to my conscience in matters that are not clearly revealed in the Bible. And I shall extend freedom to others to live according to their own personal conscience in these same matters without trying to bind them to my own personal standards and convictions. If we are going to be a community of grace, a church of grace, the last thing that we need is for one of us to have a strong conviction that is not clearly revealed in the Word of God and then for us to go around like Jesus' little police officers and say, you have to agree with me. And I bind you even though the Word of God doesn't. We just, we will give freedom to to the individual conscience of our members except where that freedom would result in something that's, clear, uh, that's clearly revealed in the Scriptures. So if, if your freedom says, well, I can sin, that grace may abound, well, no, because the Bible is clear. But apart from that, freedom in the gray areas of Scripture to say, this is where I, I believe the Lord is leading me. But if you take a personal conviction and try and enforce that personal conviction, and that personal conviction is not clearly revealed in the Word of God, then the elders will come alongside you graciously and remind you that we are not to bind others to our own personal convictions. And and this is right out of Romans chapter 14. And the whole chapter, go go and read it. I'm going to read you just verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. We don't want to be a fighting church over opinions, over the minutia of doctrine and how that works itself out in our life. We won't have spirited, engaged exploration of doctrine. That's different. Welcome, you know, if we're going to receive into our number those who are being saved by the grace of God, they're going to have pretty weakly formed convictions. And we can't expect baby Christians to act like mature Christians. So let's not argue over opinions. In this chapter, it goes on to talk about eating meat sacrificed to idols and the Sabbath. So you have the freedom. This is one of our elder statements. You have freedom to to set aside one day in seven in a more rigorous, Sabbath-keeping kind of way. And you have the freedom to treat every day the same. So if you hold to the Sabbath more rigorously, do not look down on someone who treats every day the same. And if you treat every day the same, don't look down on someone who holds to the Sabbath more rigorously. Let's not impose our own personal convictions on that on one another. That's the point. That's just an example. There's others. If you have any questions about this, uh, please talk to to me or one of the elders. Uh, Number four, I covenant to pursue unity with the members of South Shore as a true family in Christ. In keeping with my ability and the appropriateness to do so, I shall seek to meet the relational, spiritual, practical, and material needs of my fellow members. So uh, what this basically is saying is we're a family. God has 
bound us together in a familial relationship with one another. Uh, so we have our biological families, we have our adopted families, our legal families, our nuclear families, whatever you want to call them, uh, but we have our spiritual family. And remember what Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? Is it not they who do the word of God? And there is something profound and real about my brotherhood with you and your brotherhood or sisterhood with me if we have covenanted together at South Shore Bible Church. We are true brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not abstract, philosophical, or theoretical, but you are my brothers and my sisters as much as my own brothers and sisters, and in some cases, uh, more so. In Christ. So let's live as a family and families care for one another. They look after one another that if there is a need in the family, the family is there. The family is there. And so uh, basically we listed categories. We're looking for holistic care. We're, we're looking for um, relational care. We're looking for spiritual care, practical care, and material care. Now, not all of us are going to be able to provide in certain ways, so there's strong and weak in all of us. We have strengths and weaknesses, so you can only give where you're strong and you need to receive where you're weak. So that's the ability part. The second part that we highlighted was the appropriateness to do so. It's not appropriate for me to claim that a, a, another woman in the church is, well, my sister, therefore I will just you know, treat her as I would treat my own sister that I grew up with. There are certain boundaries that we need to put into place. And so that which we are able to do and that which is appropriate to do, we will do for one another. And what we chose as our scriptural citation for this is Romans 12, 9 to 18. And again, uh, these citations are in context. Paul has just talked about uh, the gospel for 11 chapters in the book of Romans. This is the glorious news that we've been saved, justified, sanctified. We will be glorified. And then he says, therefore, worship God. Respond to this by renewing your mind. And then he transitions, he talks about body life. In the local church, we are one body in Christ. Therefore, everyone find out what member you are and make that contribution. And right after that, we get to verses nine through 18. And I'm not gonna read it, I just reference it here for you. You go and look at it up. But it's just, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, care for one another, look after one another, outdo one another in showing honor to one another, show hospitality, etc., etc., etc. And so there's a really nice definition of what it looks like there for the church to act like a family. And the context is the body of Christ in response to what God has already done. Moving on to number five. I covenant to love the members of South Shore with the same love with which God loves me. Being quick to extend grace, mercy, and forgiveness when needed. I am committed to the biblical principles for reconciliation as outlined by the Lord Jesus in Matthew 8, 15 to 35. So, can we actually love the way God loves? Yes, if we can qualify that and say we'll do it imperfectly. But here's the thing, God has poured his love into us and it's a special kind of love, agape love. 
Agape love is a love that just seeks the well-being of others, even enemies. It's enemy love. And so what we're saying is, as we receive this undeserved love from God, we want to be a conduit by which we receive and it flows out from us. We're not going to do it perfectly, but that's the goal. What this article also says is we expect to be in conflict with one another. It's not as if, well, if you find yourself in conflict with someone in the church. It's when you find yourself in conflict with someone in the church. If you are not ever in conflict with anyone in the church, it means you're not engaged enough in the church. You, you need to give more to the church if you're never in conflict because you're just not that lovable. <laughs> this is a, a kind of a joke, but it's true, right? None of us are. If you're not in conflict, you're just not in relationship. Uh, show me a marriage where there's no conflict. That only happens when the man is off at war because his conflict is with foreign powers. But with intimacy comes conflict. So, so what, happen, what, what we're asking of our members here is not that you will avoid conflict. We're not looking for ostriches who hide their head in the sand. We're looking for people who say, well, I'm in conflict. I expected to be in conflict eventually. And now I'm going to walk through this conflict biblically. And just for the record, if you are in conflict, that doesn't uh, mean that you ought not to come to church. Uh, that's especially when you need to come to church. If you're in conflict with somebody in the church, that's not a time to pass the communion plate. It's when we need the grace of God the most. And the communion plate is the, the symbol that God gave us of the, the, the grace and the possibility of reconciliation. So the only time you don't come to church or the only time that you pass a communion plate is when you are unwilling to walk through your conflict in a biblical way. You see that? Sometimes it'll take weeks, sometimes months, it might take years to find the healing you need. But as one family in Christ, we're committed to walking through it. I'm not going to go to Matthew 18. It's a familiar passage, but it's one that all of our members need to be very familiar with. A little note on this, um, we are adding, as a part of our meaningful membership, uh, a, a difference for how we're going to receive members. Because we expect our members to be covenanting with one another, because we expect members to be uh, an outpouring of the love of God toward one another, we are also going to be asking our membership to vote and to approve incoming members. Up until this point, it has been the elders who welcome members on behalf of the church. From now on, we're going to ask that anyone seeking membership, that they would submit their membership proposal to the whole church. And what we're going to ask for, and we'll sit down and work with incoming members, is to just put on paper their testimony. How is it that God has saved them? because it's the one requirement for membership. Then we're going to circulate to our members, and then at a members meeting, we're going to have the members affirm their membership. So that's on the incoming end. And then in keeping with Matthew 18, we're also going to include members, brothers and sisters in Christ, appropriately, according to Matthew 18, in the discipline of members. It's not only going to be elders 
and members. And, and we're not going to do that right away. We're not going to bring the whole membership in right away. But where it's appropriate, where if it ever gets to the point, we're going to do what the scriptures say, say and we're going to bring the members in on that reconciliation between members. Uh, so it's really important that you know. And part of Matthew 18 is that the discipline of members doesn't all even have to make it to the eldership. If you're in conflict with someone in the church, it is incumbent on you to go to that person with Matthew 18 and try to resolve your conflict without it ever having to go beyond the two of you or the three of you, how many ever it is. And just so I'm clear, what I am not saying is that every time that there is church discipline that every member in the church will know about it. Matthew 18, the purpose of it is to keep the circle of people who are aware of what's going on as small as possible. So we'll always seek to keep the circle of involved people in church discipline as small as possible. But if there's resistance and we need to expand the circle for the sake of reconciliation, we will because we love the members of this church. Number six, I covenant to be a contributing member of the church. And we've broken this down into four parts. The first part is this, attending worship services and discipleship opportunities regularly. You may not realize this, but there is a ministry of presence that is, just by coming to church on a Sunday morning, you are ministering to the body. When there is a, a significant portion of the church absent on a Sunday morning, it, it is felt by everyone who is here. It is harder to worship when there are fewer of us in the room. It, it sucks the momentum out of the church. So, what we're asking is that we prioritize when the elders have called the membership together for whatever reason, to worship or to be discipled, our hope and our expectations is that members will make it a priority to participate in the life of the church. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's really hard to stir up one another toward love and good works if we're not together. And just being together does stir us up toward love and good works. That we would not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So make participation and attendance a goal. Uh, go onto our membership calendar on the website. We have everything planned between now and June. Now, dates may change, but that online calendar will always be current. And then sync your personal, your family calendar with the church calendar and make every effort to come to those events. Number two, I covenant to be a contributing member of the church by attending membership meetings. In Acts 6-2, the, the apostles called the membership together so they could talk about the fact that there were certain members being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Could you imagine if, if people say, well, I don't feel like going to that meeting of the membership? They all gathered together and the elders presented the situation. The, the, the church prayed about it. 
They brought forward a solution and the church affirmed it. So we have four dates that we want to put on your calendar. Rather than meeting once a year for the business of membership, we're going to meet four times a year, quarterly meetings, October 17th, January 9th, April 10th, and June 5th. Those are Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock here at the church building. Please come. Third part of this sixth article, I covenant to be a contributing member of the church by giving generously. We'll read for you 2 Corinthians 9. Because what does it mean to give generously? 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. The point is this, says Paul. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We've made it uh, open knowledge to the members of this church that we're in uh, financial strain right now. Now last week's giving, if you look in your bulletin, was significant, which has relieved the short-term strain. But one week of giving won't do it. It has to be a pattern of giving that pays for and finances the work of the ministry at this church. And so the expectation of members is that you would give generously. We are not putting a number on that, okay? Uh, In the Old Covenant, the number was 10% of your take-home income. That's an Old Covenant number. In the New Covenant, there are no numbers, but the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant is always, in in practice, an increase, not a decrease, so I would suggest to you that the new covenant goes something like this, that, that you give 100% of your resources to the Lord, not to the church. But that in our money management, we're constantly thinking, how would God have me spend my money? And then within that, what portion should go to my local church? And this is not a rule, this is not a checkbox, but we would... Uh, recommend that every member family works toward 10%. That's not going to be policed. I have no idea what anyone gives, neither do the elders. Giving generously. When we pass a budget, and this we're going to make this point over and over again as we come up to the 2019 budget, we do not want the budget to be the elders' budget. We want the budget to be the member's budget. So we're going to bring the budget. The elders with the treasurer are going to put together a budget, a draft. We're going to bring it to the members at our January 9th meeting. And we're going to say, this is what we propose. And if you don't like it, then you send it back to the elders. Because when the budget is passed, what the membership is saying is we will pay for this budget. So there's a, there's a practical link between passing the budget and our commitment as members. 
Third part, or fourth part of this sixth article, I covenant to be a contributing member of the church by serving in social ministries that match my giftedness and desire. We talked about this last week, so insert last week's sermon. That God has given elders to this church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We want 100% of our members serving in some capacity. Our preference is that everyone who is serving in any capacity is a member. So if you're serving in a ministry and you're not a member, our preference is that you would become a member. Uh, we're not going to enforce that rigorously. However, there are certain positions that will absolutely require membership before uh, you're able to serve in them. And these are, there's four. Number one, to be an elder. Number two, to be a ministry steward. Number three, to lead worship. And number four, to be a part of any of our teaching ministries. Those, you require membership. We would prefer that you're a member if you're serving in any capacity. You must be a member to serve in those positions. Moving on to Article 7. I covenant to increasingly live out my biblical role in the family by seeking to understand and to exercise God's vision for me as a husband, wife, father, mother, son, or daughter. Likewise, I shall increasingly live out my biblical role in the workplace by seeking to understand and to exercise God's vision for me as an employer or employee. So we have gone through biblical manhood and womanhood. We'll go through that again and again. It's really important. What do, what's God's vision for, for manhood? What's God's vision for womanhood? What does God call husbands and fathers to be and to do? What does God call wives and mothers to be and to do? What is God's call in the life of a child? What are the responsibilities of even adult children as they honor their parents, as they get older? Uh, in the workplace, what are the biblical expectations of employers? We have several employers in our church. And what are the biblical expectations of employees? And we're gonna hold one another to these expectations. Um, so I'm not gonna read it for sake of time, but Colossians 3, 18 to 24 does a great job of summarizing that. Uh, those, those uh, biblical relationships. Uh, article number eight. I covenant to submit to the South Shore elders for they are keeping watch over my soul as those who will have to give an account to Christ. I shall endeavor to make this oversight a joy for them. This, this is a hard one in our culture. The word submit is ugh, icky. Ugh, just submit. Don't want to submit to anyone. Especially don't want to come into voluntary membership at a local church and have to submit to my elders. But I just want to note for you and point out that, that we are citing Hebrews 13, 17. And this eighth article is verbatim what the Bible says. In fact, we left out the negative part of that verse, which is don't let that uh, be groaning for them for that would be of no benefit to you. There's actually a negative part to the verse that we cited that we didn't put into the covenant. Here's the thing about headship in the local church or in the family or in the workplace or over government. Headship is heavy. The elders of this church, we, we do not want to, to pull a power play over anyone. We're not looking to control anyone's life. We're not trying to micromanage your family. We're not gonna come in and say you have to make this decision or that decision. But we are 
charged by God to look after your souls. Let me just translate that for you. What that means is it is up to us to make sure you make it to the eternal promised land. Just like a shepherd has to get his sheep from this pasture to that pasture. Just as Moses and Joshua had to get people from slavery in Egypt into the promised land, the role of an elder in the local church is that we will see all of you in resurrected glory. And so everything that we do is to that end. It's for your good. And we have no authority in ourselves. This is not a cult. Do you know the difference between biblical governance and cult governance? In a cult, the cult leader has absolute authority over the lives of the people under his charge or her charge. That's not biblical eldering. I have no authority and the elders have no authority apart from the word of God. The authority belongs to Christ and our responsibility in shepherding you is not to force you or to compel you in any way, shape, or form, but to open the book. Say, look, this is what the Bible says. We love you and we want your good. So that's what we are committing to you. And... uh, Inversely, we're asking that you would submit to this oversight. We're not going to do it perfectly, so we seek your grace. But we really, really love you. And we really want the best for you. And we truly want to see you in glory. More than anything else, I want to see the Christians that I shepherded over the course of my life in heaven and in resurrection. How tragic it would be for me if you're not there. Moving on to number nine. I covenant to submit to the governing authorities of Barrie, Simcoe County, Ontario and Canada because they are the Lord's servants in civil society even if they do not know Christ. I shall make every effort to be a productive and contributing citizen. This is really important to us uh, at South Shore because it's becoming increasingly difficult to be a Canadian if you're a Christian. So we want our Christians, that is the members of this local church who call themselves by the name of Christ to be good citizens, to submit to the governing authorities over us even when they're not acting the way we want them to act. Because that's what the Bible says and Romans 13 is all about that, is is submit to the governing authorities for they are God's servants on your behalf to do you good. And they're not always going to be good. They're not always going to do it perfect. But in the context of the New Testament, I mean, we, we are still in just such a good position compared to the first early church. But as it becomes more difficult to submit to our governing authorities, we're still going to ask that we submit to our governing authorities, which means we want to show respect to whom respect is due, or as it says, show honor to whom honor is due. Uh, Render taxes unto Caesar and honor unto Caesar. Respect our prime minister, our premier, and our mayor, even when they do things that seem counter-gospel. 
doesn't mean we have to agree with them. And there are leverages, or there are, uh, yeah, ways that we can leverage our democracy to work, uh, to, to work for the gospel, to disagree even with our civil servants in a submissive way. And so that's really important. We're gonna, and I would ask that if you hear a fellow member in this church saying something that lacks honor toward a governing authority, to just remind them, remember, God is sovereign over all. Now we come to number 10. I covenant to be ready to share the hope I have in Christ with anyone who asks and to prayerfully seek opportunities to do so. This is right out of 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So it starts here. Before you go out there and share the gospel, make sure you've set apart Christ in your own heart. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We want to be bold for the gospel. We want to go out there and say, hey, we've got a good God, and, and yet he's also a God of judgment and wrath, and if, if you don't come to Christ, there is a final judgment coming. So in culturally sensitive ways, as every occasion gives uh, merit, we want that message to go out, and then we want the opportunity for reconciliation through Jesus Christ. But we want our members to go out there with gentleness and respect. The gospel is offensive to a perishing world. But if we give offense, may it be that it is the gospel that is offending and not our witness. We do not want to be offensive Christians even if someone is offended with God and his gospel. So we go out there to love the world, not to judge the world or to condemn the world. We go out there to share a message of hope and reconciliation, and forgiveness, and, and, and joy, and promise, and resurrection, and eternal life. That's our job. And as we share that, we have to tell them the truth, that apart from Christ, the world is perishing. But we do not go out there to condemn the world. The Holy Spirit will work in the hearts of those to whom we speak to reveal to them both their sin and their righteousness or the lack thereof. And we go out in the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. So let us be his ambassadors in a lost and dying world. This is our membership covenant. This is what we believe makes membership meaningful. If you're a member of this church, I ask that you would prayerfully go through each of these articles again, open the scriptures. If you have any questions, talk to one of the elders. And then we want everyone to sign a copy. We'll have copies next week for you. Sign a copy and submit them to the elders. After all of our members have signed this, we'll together uh, on a Sunday morning rise and we will affirm it verbally together and give glory to God. If you're not a member here and you'd like to be a member, we would love to live this life with you in the wilderness while we wait for Jesus to return and take us into the promised land. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for this church 
And as we covenant together to respond to what you've accomplished for us in Christ, I pray that you would bind us together into such close intimacy by the work of your Holy Spirit that even the love that we have for one another would be witness enough for those in the world around us to see that what we have is good. They would come and be added to our number as you save them. Lord, I pray for any who are not members here today that you might put it on their hearts to walk with us in this journey through life, that we could be there to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who weep. For we know that the day, the final day, is quickly approaching. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.